Well, I don't know if I should admit this. I might get a hard time about this, but I do enjoy going shopping with my wife. I especially like taking her shopping for new clothes. Now, I know a lot of guys dread that, going clothes shopping with the wife, but, but I am not one of those guys. You see, here's the way I think about it. When, when you go clothes shopping with your wife, you get to see your beautiful wife trying a bunch of new outfits. You get to buy her something nice, and then you get her appreciation for spending time together. So to me, it seems like a win. Guys, why aren't you taking advantage of that? So I enjoy going shopping with my wife. Having admitted that, I also admit that that I don't often have the shopping stamina that Amy does. Um, so, so occasionally I'll, I'll send up, end up sitting out a few rounds. I'll end up sitting outside a store or two or three while she goes on in and, and tries things out, tries things on. Uh, but when that happens, I often find myself doing something else I enjoy, and that's people watching. How many of you enjoy doing that? I like to watch the different people going by and trying to figure out you know, what, what's their story. And it's interesting what you can pick up about people as you just watch them walking by at the mall. Um, you'll spot people who are obviously the social media obsessed. I mean, they walk by you, and they have no clue what's going on around them because they're so fixated on what? Yeah. And the sad thing is this is becoming more and more of us, isn't it? So fixated on their phone. They're, they're texting or they're tweeting or they're, they're Instagramming whatever sandwich they just had for lunch. All the while, they're walking through the the crowded mall. And I'm always impressed that they they can manage to navigate through that crowded mall while their attention is so seemingly fixated, not on where they're walking, but on their social feed. I'm impressed that they can manage to navigate it. Now, now I will admit that that a couple years ago, I saw a video of of a lady who wasn't managing to navigate so well. I don't know if you guys saw this video. She was talking on her phone, and she ended up doing a header right into the fountain in the mall because she didn't see it coming. So, so they're not always able to navigate well, but the ones that I watch, they, they seem to be able to navigate well. Uh, now, another type of person that you'll notice at the mall, a person that's really at the other end of the spectrum from the person who is lost in social media, is, is the shopper on a mission. The shopper on a mission. And you can easily spot this person because they are walking double the speed of anybody else, you know? They're just moving. This is usually the person, they're taking the extra long strides. They are, they're the woman with the, I'm on a mission walk, and you see the bags are swinging, and she's just going. Where it's the guy, you know, he's there, he's got his blinders on, he knows why he's there, he knows what story he's going to, he wants to get in and get out and get on with life. So you, you can tell by the way that they walk. They're not there to dawdle, they're not there to browse, they're there to get in and get out. They have a clear intentionality about their walk. But then there's those whose walk seems to make clear that that they really don't want to be there at the mall. Often in a crowded mall, you'll find what I'll call the bored shufflers. These are usually children, um, sometimes teenagers, who've been apparently forced against their will to go shopping with their parents. And, and I, always, I, I always enjoy watching the, the interaction between the bored shuffler and his or her parent. You'll see the, the shuffler getting further and further behind mom and dad, and they're dragging their feet, and they're staring off into space. And finally, mom and dad does what? Mom and dad does what? They stop, they turn around, and they say, I've had it with this. What's wrong with you? Why can't you keep up with us? They give that lecture. And in response to the lecture, the board shuffler kind of picks up the pace. But in just a few moments, what's going on? They're straggling behind again. There's definitely a battle of the wills going on in that particular situation. But then you have the poor, sad soul who has clearly lost the battle of the wills. You have what I'll call the defeated husband or boyfriend. And he's the guy who looks like he'd rather be somewhere, anywhere else, 
than shopping at the mall. And you'll, you'll see him. He's walking with his hands full of shopping bags, but he doesn't look like the, the conqueror, you know, with all of his spoils of victory. Instead, as he lugs those shopping bags, his, his wife or his girlfriend's shopping bags, he looks like a prisoner carrying his ball and chain. And those are the guys who usually end up sitting next to me on the bench there at the mall <laughs> while I watch all the other folks walk by. But, but what observing people at the mall ha- has made pretty clear is that you can tell a lot about the person by the way that they walk. You can often see just by the way that they walk, who's having a good day, who's having a bad day, who's in a hurry, who's excited to be shopping, and who's there just killing time. But, but I wonder how many of those people who are walking by think about what's being communicated about them by their walk. I wonder how many of those that are walking by think about what's being communicated by their wife. Walk. Do you ever think about that when you're walking through the mall? Do you ever think about, what does my walk say about me? Now, I bring that up this morning, not to make you self-conscious about going to the mall or the way that you walk around the mall, but I bring it up in order to challenge you to think with me about a far more important walk than your mall strut. You see, in the Bible, the term walk is often used in a metaphorical sense to describe the way that we live. The way that we live, it's our walk. The Bible describes our manner of life as our walk. And that's the way the word walk is used in the text that we're going to be walking through this morning. We're going to be working through this morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about our walk, our manner of life. But, but before we get to the text, before we start unpacking it, I, I want to ask you just to think with me about that question I just raised. Do you ever think about, what does my walk say about me? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about, what does the way that I live, my lifestyle, my actions, my pursuits, the way that I endure through trials, the way that I give thanks, what does that say about me? Do you ever think about, what does that say about you? Do you ever think about your walk? Let me ask the question this way. If someone was to observe your life, if someone was to watch your life the way you or I might watch somebody walking by at the mall, if somebody was to just make a passing observation on your life, what would they say your life is all about? What would they say your life is all about? What can people tell about you from the way that you walk? What does your walk say about you? Now, I I, want to raise that question with you this morning. I want you to think about that because, unfortunately, I think it's something that we often don't think about. Or if we do think about it, we quickly want to dismiss the significance of our walk. And here's why I think we often don't think about it or we quickly want to dismiss the significance of our walk. Because we don't want to admit that our actions define us. We don't want to admit that our actions define us. We're more comfortable with our words or our intentions being what defines us. We say, I love you. We say that to someone. But then we completely disregard their feelings or we choose our needs above theirs. But even though we do that, we still want to be seen as what? I still want to be seen as a loving person. I'm still a loving person. Did you hear what I said to you? I said I loved you. Don't you know my intentions? We still want to be seen as a loving person even though our actions aren't backing it up. Or we'll say, you know what? You can count on me. I will be there for you. But then we quickly follow that up with, oh, wait a second. I'm busy on Tuesday. And then I got that other thing going on on Wednesday and Thursday. You know, I need some me time. And then Friday, well, that's the weekend. Um, maybe we can get together and do something. Maybe, I'll be there for you, but can we push it off a couple of months? You see, we want our words to be enough. We, we want our intentions to be enough. We want to be defined by those things. We're much more comfortable being defined by those things instead of being defined by our actions. 
But as we'll see this morning, it is our actions, it is our walk that actually says an awful lot about us. It's, it's our walk that reveals what's really going on in our lives, what's really going on in our hearts. Have you ever heard this saying, don't tell me what you believe, show me what you do, and I will tell you what you believe. Ever heard that saying? Don't tell me what you believe, show me what you do, and I will tell you what you believe. There's a lot of truth in that saying, uncomfortable truth, but truth nonetheless. So what can people tell about you from the way that you walk? What does your walk say about you? And I say this all the time, I'm going to say it again. I'm not talking about a general sense. And don't think about, well, yeah, my, my, my spouse needs to hear this message, or my neighbor needs to think through that question. I want you to ask the question of yourself. What does your walk say about you? What does your walk say about you? Well, let me now take you to the text for this morning. And let's, let's look at what it says our walk reveals. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> and here in Colossians chapter 1, we find Paul talking about his, his commitment to be praying for these believers in Colossae. Look at verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. He says, And so from the day we heard, uh, from the day that Paul and his companions had heard about the Colossians embracing the gospel, we've talked about this previously, but Paul had never been to the church there in Colossae. It was actually started by another man named Epaphras. And Paul was now in Rome, and Epaphras had gone to Rome to seek out Paul's help. So he had told Paul about what was going on there in the church in Colossae, how these people had come to faith in Christ. And so Paul says, from the day we heard, from the day we heard about you embracing Christ, we, and Paul was there in Rome, and there were other people with him, other missionaries that were traveling with him. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you. They'd made this commitment to be praying for the Colossians. And here's their prayer. We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, our last time together in Colossians, which I was thinking about this morning, was a month ago, so it's been a little bit, but our last time together in Colossians, we examined this prayer. And what we saw was that Paul had committed to pray for these believers, asking that God would fill them with this knowledge, the knowledge of his will, of God's will. And and as I explained when we walked through that, the, the will that Paul is talking about here, it's not some kind of mysterious, secretive will, you know, like, does God want me to shop at Albertsons or Sovereign? Or, or Safeway, you know? God, what is your will? That's not what Paul's talking about, or the secretive will of God. He's talking about the revealed will of God. God's will revealed to us where? Right here, in the Word. God's will revealed to us in the Word. And as we saw, the center of God's revealed will, the center of the Scriptures is what? Or better said, is who? It's Christ. It's Christ. At the heart of the scriptures is Christ. At the heart of the scriptures is God, uh, the heart of the scriptures is God's will for us to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. So Paul's praying that, that these believers would be filled with this knowledge of God's will. His will to redeem the world through the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul's praying that these believers would truly know God's Christ-centered will. They would know who Christ is and who they are in him. But here's the thing. Paul isn't just praying that they would know this will. He is praying that this knowledge would dominate them. He is praying that, that would, it would overflow them. And, and the picture I have in my mind is you know, when you leave the glass sitting in the sink and the tap is running and the glass fills up with water and the tap's still running and it's just overflowing with water. That's the way this knowledge needs to be in them. 
just overflowing them. And you see this in the way that Paul further explains his request. Look, he's asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, this Christ-centered will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what, what does Paul mean by that phrase, spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, that's Paul's way of describing God the Spirit taking the truth of the word and helping it to spill over into all the moments of our life. God, the Spirit, taking the truth of the word and helping it to spill over into all of the moments in our life. Paul is talking about the Spirit producing on us that skill for living. We talked about this when we were, again, a month ago in this text. But that skill for living that the Spirit produces in us, helping us to apply God's Christ-centered truth to all the varying moments of our life. That's what Paul means here by all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's this Spirit-produced skill to apply God's truth to all the moments of our life. And this is something that the Spirit of God does. This is part of the, his ministry for us. He takes what we've learned and helps us to see how it fits here in this moment and here in that moment and here in this moment. He shows us the significance of the truth that we've learned for those moments in our life. And so Paul prays that these believers would really know what they have in Christ, that they would really see God's will for them in Christ, and then they'd have the ability by the Spirit to apply that knowledge to their lives. That's Paul's request. That's his prayer commitment for these believers in Colossae. But here's an important question. Why is Paul praying this way? What's the goal that he's after? Well, look again at the text. Paul's praying that they would be filled, look at verse 10, so as to what? So as, so as to do what? Yeah, so to walk. So to walk. You see, Paul realizes that what we know leads to how we approach life and how we approach life, that skill for living from the Spirit, is manifested where? In our walk, in our life. It's manifested in our life. Our walk is a window into how we operate. I want you to note that. Our walk, your walk, is a window into how you operate. Our our walk, the way we live, is a window into how we think and what we believe and how we make decisions. It's a window into what we truly know and how we are applying those things that we know. So, if the things that Paul's talking about in verse 9 are happening in your life, if you're being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, where is it going to show up? It's going to show up in your walk. It'll show up in your walk. People will be able to look at the way that you live. They'll be able to look at your manner of life and they'll say, oh, they know who they are in Christ. They know who they are. And the Spirit is giving them wisdom and understanding to apply that truth. That's how they are operating. They are operating by the Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered truth of God. People will be able to look at your life and see that. Our walk is a window into how we operate. And I'm stressing this point with you this morning. You might say, well, Brian, I know that. But I'm stressing this point with you this morning because, as I said earlier, too often we don't want to see things that way. We don't want to admit that reality. Again... (laughs) It's so easy. We can say the right things, right? We can say the right things. We can say, I love you. I'm there for you. But when push comes to shove, do our actions back up our words? When it's hard to love somebody, do you still love them? There are people who are hard to love, right? Let's just be honest. You know people that are hard to love? If you don't have any in your life, let me spend some time with you. I'm one of those people. Okay? I can be difficult to love at times. But when somebody's difficult to love, do you still love them? When, when commitment means sacrifice, do you still keep the commitment? 
Do you make the sacrifice? Again, things are easy to say. You can say, oh yeah, I know who I am in Christ. Or I know that God is my, we sing it. I know that God is my strength and my hope and my peace and my joy. We sing those things. Those words come out of our mouth. But when your strength, when your strength fails you, or or your hope in you, or your peace based on circumstances, or your joy found in the delights of this world, when that's gone, when that's taken away, what is your response? What is your response? Our response reveals how we operate. Your response, your walk, it's a window. It's a window into how you operate. And it's sad. I mean, I've been doing ministry now for, well, a few years. I think we're getting close to 18 or 19. But it's sad to see people who have been in the church for years. People you've watched sit under good teaching. People who who have given time to study the word. They've studied the word. They've even taught other people the word. But then you see a trial comes into their life, something really difficult, and it just overwhelms them. It overwhelms them. They they don't respond with faith in the strength of God. They don't respond by, by giving thanksgiving for their great salvation or persevering in good works or letting that trial drive them to a deeper, richer understanding of God and his glory. Instead, they become bitter and angry and joyless. Watch people. Again, people who've been in the church for years. But understand this. Their response is a window into how they've been operating. It's a window into how they've been operating. For years, they probably said the right things. We can do that. Again, that's easy to say the right things. And they said the right things, and it all sounded good. But in reality, what was going on in their life, what their response reveals is that they were failing to be filled with the knowledge of God's Christ-centered will. They were failing to seek the Spirit's power to help them apply the truths of God in wisdom and understanding to all the varying moments of their life. And so when push comes to shove, when rubber meets the road, when the heat is turned up and the trial gets severe, their walk becomes a window into how they've been operating. Becomes a window. But seeing that revelation in how a person's been operating or, or finding that in yourself in a poor response to trials, guess what? It isn't all, it isn't all bad. It isn't all bad. And, and I, I say that because when, when God allows our walk to reveal how we've been operating, that we've been failing to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we need to see that revelation as a gift from God. We need to see, because that's God's refining of us. He, he's pulling things back and saying, look at Ryan, look at how you've been operating. I put you in this trial, and this trial reveals how you've been operating. That's a gift from God, amen? It's a gift from God. And so when that happens, when we find ourselves in that moment where where. The failure in the way that we've been operating, that we've been saying the right things, but we really haven't been being filled with the knowledge of his will. We really haven't been allowing the spirit to help us apply those truths with wisdom and understanding. When those things are exposed, here's the right response. We should let that revelation of failure drive us back to Paul's prayer here. And we should get down on our knees and we should say, oh God, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Fill me with it. Help me to grow more and more in understanding my Lord and my Savior, realizing who I am in him. And let that knowledge, oh God, let that knowledge overflow me with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Help me to truly live each moment in light of who I am in Christ. That failure exposed should lead us to our knees in prayer. That's how we should respond. But too often, we just want to dismiss our actions, right? Can we, can we acknowledge that? Too often, we just want to dismiss our actions. And we only want to rest on our words. But, well, listen, this is what I said. Or rest on our intentions. Well, you don't understand my heart. And we want to do that because we're not willing to acknowledge that the truth that our walk is a window into how we operate. Our walk is a window into how we operate. So instead of repenting, instead of turning back to God in prayer, we ignore what our walk has revealed and we just keep looking at our words and our intentions. Looking at the text here, we can conclude that not only is our walk a window into how we operate, but Paul also shows us our walk is a window into who we aim to please. I've got two points here this morning. Okay, first one is our walk is a window into how we operate. Okay, second one is this: our walk is a window into who we aim to please. Our walk is a window into who we aim to please. Look at what Paul writes. Look at the text, starting verse ten. He says, "So as to walk, so as to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to who? To Him." Paul's praying that this, this, this knowledge of God's Christ-centered will would fill these believers and produce in them a walk that was all about pleasing the Lord. And here's the thing, and you know this. That doesn't come natural to us in our fallenness, does it? That doesn't come. Our fallen desire is to live in a way that pleases who? Yeah, our fallen desire is to live in a way that pleases me. Lives in a way that pleases you. Lives in a way that pleases self. And it's been that way. Way back since the beginning, since Genesis 3. Think about that first temptation. This is Genesis 3, 6. It tells us, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Who were they aiming to please as they checked out the tree? Hey, that looks good. Who are they aiming to please as the man followed the woman's lead and they both ate together from the forbidden tree? What did their walk at that moment reveal? Who were they aiming to please? Yeah, by their actions, they, they turned away from living to please God and had embraced a desire to please themselves. And the world has been that way ever since. The world's been that way ever since. Our world is fueled by a desire to please self. I mean, that has become the, the mantra of our culture. Our culture's cry is, I want what I want. I want what I want. And that's the way, I mean, let's be honest, that's the way our culture approaches everything. From politics to economics to sexuality to family, it's all about this desire to please self. You cannot tell me what I can and cannot do. Because it's about what? Me. What I want. This is the desire to please self. But here's the thing. Before we go throwing stones at our culture, uh, we wanna, might want to take a good look at the glass houses that we're living in. Amen? Because we find that same desire at work in us. I mean, this might not be the most comfortable exercise, but just think through your, your actions this last week. Think through the choices that you made. How many of those were fueled by a desire to please you? Let me give you some examples, help you think through this. Let's, let's start by thinking how we approach conflict. Married people, married people, um, do you ever find yourself, after an argument with your spouse or a discussion with your spouse, do you ever find yourself thinking, well, okay, maybe I was a little wrong there, but I'm not going to say anything 
until she does first. Ever found yourself thinking that? You say, of course, I would never think that, Ryan, because I'm never wrong. (laughs) Ever found yourself thinking that? I don't care. I know I was wrong, but she was more wrong. And I'm not going to talk to her for days until she, she talks to me first. Let me ask you, where does that come from? Does that come from a desire to please the Lord? No. That comes from a desire to please self. You see, our walk, the way we handle conflict, is a window into who we aim to please. Let me give you another example. Think about the way you use your time. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So let me ask you, how are you using your time? How do you approach the decisions about how you use your time? Our time is limited, brothers and sisters, and we live in an age that will fill up our time with things that do not edify, things that do not encourage our hearts, things that do not please the Lord. So when you think about your stewardship of your time, what, or better said who, who determines how you use it? Are you thinking, well, I'm going to use my time this way because this is going to be pleasing to the Lord? Or do you find yourself using your time? And I will admit, this is, man, this was convicting to me this week. Using your time because, well, that's what I think I want to do. You see, our walk is a window into who we aim to please. Our walk is a window into who we aim to please. And I could give other, other examples, but I want to turn our attention now to this. What Paul is hitting on here, really, in this text, he's hitting on how the gospel changes things. The gospel changes things. You see, before coming to Christ, all our walk was ever, ever revealed, all our walk ever revealed was a desire to please self. Amen? Before coming to Christ, that's what our walk was all about. Before the gospel invaded our hearts, liberating us from our blindness and our vanity, we were all about, all the time, we were about self. We were about self. But then the gospel came. And with it came a new way of thinking, a freedom, a joy, a delight to live a life that's pleasing to God. And and as you were filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as you began to understand who Christ is, that he is the loving, gentle, giving, rescuing king of kings and the Lord of lords, as you begin to see the reality of who you are in him, there's a change that takes place. You're no longer dominated by, ruled by, a desire only to please self. Now, it's still present there, amen? It's still there in the flesh, right? We still struggle with that, but it's not the master anymore. You've been liberated through the gospel. You find a new desire, a desire from the Spirit rooted in your new understanding of God and His will, and those desires will show up, brothers and sisters, in our walk. Those new desires will show up in our walk. They will show up in a walk that aims to please the Lord. And Paul shows us some specifics here of what this, this type of walk, this type of walk that's driven by these, these new desires to please the Lord, what it looks like. First, it looks like a life, look at verse 10, that is bearing fruit in every good work. It looks like a life that is bearing fruit in every good work. This, this new desire to please the Lord, it produces a fruitful life. It, it produces a life where there are works, there are actions that glorify God. You see, there's been a change because of the gospel. The gospel changes us, Amen. The gospel changes people. It does. There's a difference, and that difference manifests. It manifests itself 
through works, through actions that flow from this, this heart, this transformed heart that has desires to please God. And, and, and this happens in our heart as, as our heart is filled with this knowledge of who Christ is and who we are in him. We find this delight now in pursuing things that honor and please God. Amen? Have, have you, you know, again, there's this battle with the flesh, but have you, have you tasted those moments where you delight in, in doing things that please Christ? Have you, have you found yourself in that moment? Anybody? Yeah, it's there. It's from the spirit is produced in us. And so from that desire comes these, these good works, these works that honor Christ. Over in chapter three, turn over to chapter three of Colossians. Paul gives us a picture of, of some of these, these works, some of these things that now come from this desire to please Christ. He, he shows us a picture here of, of a life that is bearing fruit in every good work. Look what Paul says here, Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 12. He writes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what? Compassion hearts. Does that mean I just have warm feelings towards everybody? It's not talking about a feeling, actually it's talking about a way that we act. Compassionate hearts. We show compassion towards others. Put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also what? If you, if you really want to, if you really feel it at the moment. What does it say? So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Again, is that talking about a feeling? No, it's talking First Corinthians 13, it's the way that we act. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And again, this is not like an individual thing. This is talking about the way the body interacts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were all called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, he says, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. I'm doing it for Christ. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the way our walk, our life, is to look. That's the fruit that is to be found in our life. A fruit that comes as a result of being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But here in chapter 3, Paul isn't done. Following that general picture of, of the way our lives are to look, he gets more specific and he talks about how it's to look in the home. Look at what he says, verse 18. Wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Where does that come from, that kind of attitude? It comes from understanding who I am in Christ. And then the Spirit helping me to apply that in all those varying moments. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Where does that come from, guys? Because she's so worthy of love all the time. Not to offend you, ladies, but there are moments. Very, very few and far between. Well, maybe you're not acting very easy to love. But we're to love like Christ loved the church. Why? How? Because we're being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And from there, this desire to please the Lord. And so to please the Lord, we love our wives. Children, obey your parents in everything because they're always right and they always know what they're talking about. No, for this pleases the Lord. You ask the question, what pleases the Lord? Obeying my mom and dad. 
That's what pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Not be harsh with them. Bring them up in, in gentleness and kindness and truth and love and mercy. Do not provoke your children lest they become what? Discourage men, you can break them. You can break them. Don't. Don't. Because it's easy not to lose your temper? No. Because you want to please the Lord. You see, Paul here gives us this great picture of what a fruitful walk looks like. It looks like forgiveness instead of holding grudges. It looks like acts of humility instead of deeds that broadcast our supposed greatness. It looks like love and compassion instead of selfishness and coldness. It looks like submission to God's ordained order instead of demanding my rights. It looks like men leading their family out of love and care instead of demanding respect or abdicating their role because they're too busy or too tired or too scared. And such a life, a life that looks like this, such a walk, it tells a lot about us. It reveals who we are aiming to please. It reveals who we're aiming to please. Such a walk, a walk that looks like what Paul's describing here in chapter 3, it reveals that the truths of God's word, his, his Christ-centered scriptures have taken root in our heart and we found the joy of loving and serving and honoring Christ by our actions. We found the joy in that. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, talking about this morning. Um, I, I was thinking about this I, I want to make sure that you don't get the idea that I'm talking about doing good deeds in order to win God's favor. I'm not talking about doing good deeds in order to win God's favor or somehow earn your salvation. I'm talking about working your way to heaven. And I'm not talking about that because guess what? You can't. You can't. You can't work your way to heaven. The only way that any of us are going to get to heaven is not because of our own works, amen? Amen. It's only because of the finished work of Christ. Our faith in the finished work of Christ. So I'm not talking here, this text isn't talking about doing good deeds in order to win God's favor. I'm talking about doing good deeds out of a heart of gratitude, a heart of love for our Savior, a heart that understands who Christ is and understands who we are. So we live out of that understanding. We live out of the understanding that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who gave his life, his glorious infinite life in order to save our. So we want to live in a way that pleases and honors him. That's, that's where this walk that is bearing fruit in every good work comes from. It comes from a heart that delights to please, please our Lord. But Paul also shows us here in chapter 1 that this life that desires to please our king, it isn't just evident by our good works. It's also evident by our desire to know him more. Turn back there to chapter 1. I'll warn you, I told you this before when I went on vacation this last summer. I'm gone for a couple weeks. You're going to get a two-hour sermon. I mean, it's just the way it goes. I got, I got things to make up for. <laughs> You're like, is he serious two hours? Okay, back to chapter one. <laughs> but look what Paul says here in verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, how? Bearing fruit in every good work, which we just talked about, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, those who are filled with the knowledge of his will, they will desire more. Those who are filled with the knowledge of his will will desire more. They will want to know him more. They they will hunger to experience more of his presence. They will hunger to see more of his glory, to understand more of his greatness. They will pursue a growing, increasing knowledge of God. That's what we find in Paul's own testimony. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this. 
He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, listen to this, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what you saw in Paul's walk. I count everything, all those other things that I had built up before, all those things that the world looks at and says, this is important, this is special. Paul says, that's all rubbish, garbage to me, so that I may gain what? Christ. It's all about knowing Christ. That's what I desire. You see Paul, and if you went on in that text there in Philippians 3, you see Paul pursuing this growing intimate knowledge of Christ. He wasn't a man content with what he knew. He wasn't like, okay, well, I understand the gospel. Thanks for that. I'm going on to other things. He hungered for more of that knowledge of Christ. He says, I want to know Christ's power. I want to know Christ's power in a deeper way. And he also says, I I want to know him in his sufferings. You want to know Christ's sufferings in a deeper way. He wanted to put the roots of his life, the roots of his knowledge down deep into the soil of Jesus Christ. It's what he hungered for, the knowledge of God. He, he tasted it, and he couldn't get enough of it. Couldn't get enough of it. So let me ask you, what about you? Think about your walk. Think about your life. Do you hunger? Do you find that in you, that hunger to know Christ more? Do you you come to this book hungry? Do you hunger for time in the Word? Not so you can check it off of your spiritual to-do list, but because this is where you see Him. This is where you find our God. This is where you see His love and His holiness and His justice and His righteousness and His majesty, and you want to see more of it. Is that what you find in your life? Is that what you find in your walk? That's a walk that pleases the Lord. It glorifies him because we see who he truly is. That he is the fountain of life. It's with him. Not all those other things that we go chasing. It's with him. He is the abundance that will truly satisfy every longing of your heart. Do you really believe that? You say, oh, I believe that. Guess where it will show up? It will show up in your walk. It will show up in your walk. Jeremiah chapter 9, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, the Lord says this through Jeremiah. He says, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. And, and here's the thing, he's not saying don't boast in those things because you don't have those things. The wise man is wise, the mighty man is mighty, the rich man is rich. But he says, but let him who boasts in this, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Because that's better than riches or might or wisdom. Let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So are you hungering to know that God? The God who delights in his steadfast love, the God who delights in his righteousness and his justice. Are you, de- are you desiring, are you hungering to know that God more? Is that your boast that's a walk that pleases him that's a walk that reveals you understand who he is and who you are and you are overwhelmed by the invitation of a holy God who says come and know me what a blessing to know him amen what a blessing to know him and brothers and sisters what a blessing to rest in him that's the third aspect here of of a Christ-pleasing walk that Paul points out. Look at verse 11. 
Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Now, the way that the ESV translates this, it almost feels like Paul's giving a new prayer request here, but he's not. Um, In the original language, this is just one more participle in a string of participles that go back to verse 10. It goes right along with bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the why if you have a New American Standard Bible or an NIV, it translates it that way, not as a new request, but as a continuing of this, this idea of what it is to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. You see, Paul's point is that a worthy walk, one that is fully pleasing to the Lord, not only looks like bearing fruit in every good works, and not only looks like increasing in the knowledge of God, it also looks like being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. You see, the Lord is pleased when we endure in trials with patience because we're resting in the strength of his glorious might. That pleases the Lord. When we endure with patience because we're resting in the strength of his glorious might. So so when people look at you, especially when they look at you in your trials, is that what they see? Is that what they see? Do they see you enduring with patience? Do they see that? Do they see that that you're not resting in your own strength because you've learned to rest in the strength of his glorious might? Is that what people see? Let me ask this question. Where do you learn to rest in the strength of his glorious might? Is there just like a class that we do? Guess where you learn that? You learn that lesson in the trials. You learn that lesson in the trials. We learn to rest in the strength of his glorious might with all endurance and patience as we walk through the trial, not just going through the trial, but saying in the trial, Lord, let me please you in this trial. That's where we learn that. We we learn to rest in the strength of his glorious might with all endurance and patience as we walk through the trial saying, Holy Spirit, take the knowledge of God's Christ-centered will and help me to apply that as I face this sickness or this job loss or this relationship issue. Take what God has revealed in his word and help me to apply it in this moment so that in this moment as I walk through whatever it is, Jesus Christ would be glorified. Jesus Christ would be honored by my response. And when you do that, when you find yourself in the school of trials and you rest in his strength, guess what you find? Many of you know this. His strength is more than sufficient. Amen? His strength is more than sufficient. Look at the way Paul puts this. Strengthen with all power according to what? According to whatever you can muster, however you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, according to his what? Glorious might. We're not talking about little strength here, brothers and sisters. We're talking about God's glorious might. The might that parted the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could walk across on dry ground. Why is that story in the Bible? Is it there? So, hey, that's, that's an interesting story to read. That will hold people's attention. So we'll, let's put that in the Bible. Why is that there? So that we can understand his glorious might. So that we can understand his glorious might. We're, we're talking about the glorious might that fell the walls of Jericho. We're talking about the glorious might that rescued Daniel in the lion's den and kept his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from even getting singed. As they went into the fiery furnace. We're talking about the glorious might that hung the stars in the heavens. That created the entire world in six days. And has kept it going every day since. That's the might that we're talking about. 
We're talking about the glorious might that raised Christ from the dead, that defeated death and sin, and that has given everyone who trusts in Christ, not everyone who does everything right, but everyone who trusts in Christ, eternal life that will never end in glory with God. That's the might that we're talking about. And that's more than enough. It's more than strong enough to keep you and me glorifying God in our trials. We will say, oh, right, but you know what I'm going through. It parted the Red Sea. It, stung, it hung the stars in the heavens. It raised Christ from the dead. It can help you with your job loss. It can keep you strong through the sickness. It can keep you glorifying Christ, even in the broken relationship. But too often what our trials reveal, what our walk in our trials reveals, is that we're not resting in that might. We're not looking to that strength to help us keep living to please our Savior. No, instead, what often our trials reveal is that we're focused on pleasing us, and this trial is getting in the way. And I'm speaking from experience in the sickness that we went through recently. You know, we get them all about, this is what I want. This is my plan for the day, or this is what makes me feel comfortable, and this trial is getting in my way. So we try to use our wisdom and our power to do what? To work our way out of the trial. And when we can't get out of the trial, what do we do? We gripe about it. We complain about it. And we become discouraged. We will show by our walk who we're aiming to please. We'll show that where we're aiming to please self. Now there's one more thing that Paul mentions here, but because I don't really want to preach for two hours, um, we'll go into it in detail next week. But let me just point it out to you real quick. Verses 11 and 12. Paul shows us here that a walk that pleases the Lord, look at the end of verse 11, is a walk that is with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. A walk that pleases the Lord is a walk that joyfully thanks the Father for our glorious salvation. Brothers and sisters, and I've said this earlier um, when we started this study in Colossians, but come what may, I mean, whatever trials come into your life, come what may, if you are in Christ, you have a glorious life. Amen? You have a glorious life. You've been rescued by the Father, and you have an inheritance, the likes of which, the likes of which you cannot fathom. You cannot fathom. And those, those who walk that in a way that pleases the Lord, they are continually giving thanks for that salvation, for that rescue, for that inheritance. They are continually mindful and rejoicing in the reality that because of the Father's grace alone, they are saved and have been given a future of unimaginable glory. They are thankful people. Not because everything's working right in their life at that moment, but because they see the big picture. They see that they have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. They see this glorious salvation that's theirs. And so they're thankful people. They're thanking the father for what the father has given. And again, Lord willing, we'll talk about all that next Sunday. But I want to close this morning with this. I want to close by by addressing a question that, that we might be wrestling with during this message. And here's the question that I'm anticipating some of us, if not all of us, will wrestle with. What if my walk, what if your walk, isn't lining up with all the things we talked about this morning? What, what if your walk isn't lining up with all the things we've talked about this morning? What if you look at your life and you say, well, it's not backing up my confession? What if, if people watched your life, your walk, 
they, they would be left to conclude that you're not operating by God's truth. You're not operating out of a desire to please Christ. Or what if, even if people were to look at you and they, they didn't, wouldn't pick that up, what if you know that's the way things are? What if you know, if, if I really looked at my life, I would see that I, I'm not operating really by being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm not really living to please Christ. How do you rescue a wayward walk? Again, look at the text. Where does Paul start? Verse nine. (laughs) And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to what? Pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to do what? So as to walk. It starts, brothers and sisters, it starts making sure that you've surrendered to Christ. It starts by making sure that you have truly embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ and then asking God through his word to fill you with the knowledge of his will and by the work of the spirit to help you apply that truth moment by moment by moment in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If your walk reveals something other than bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If it reveals something other than being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. If it reveals something other than with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here's my encouragement to you. Go back to prayer. Go back to your knees. Go back to praying the prayer of Colossians 1.9 and, and ask other people to pray that for you. Let's be honest with one another. Say, hey, I need you to pray this prayer for me. Go back to praying that prayer. Ask others to pray for you. And while you're there praying that prayer, guess what? Pray it for me. I'm preaching this. I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, Ryan, there's a lot of areas here where your walk is revealing something other than what comes out of your mouth. So as you're praying for you, pray for me. And let's pray for one another. Pray, pray for me. Pray for the other people in our church. Because I imagine there's a lot of us who are wrestling with this. Looking at our walk and seeing it doesn't measure up to what we say or what our intentions are. Let's stop playing games, brothers and sisters. Let's stop playing games. And let's be honest about what our walk says about how we operate and who we aim to please. May we all be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I come to you weak and needy, needing your strength in my life, helping me to grow more and more in, in knowing who you are, my Savior who I am in you. Needing the Spirit's ministry to help me moment by moment see how those glorious truths work out in each of the situations in my life. And right now, I need your strength as we've talked about these things this morning so easy for us to gather in this place and talk about these things and walk out the door and boy they're right off of our minds 
And I know these things aren't going to stick with my brothers and sisters. These things aren't going to stick with those who are here because I'm such a great speaker. I know that's not the situation. So I pray that that the Holy Spirit would take what we've talked about and apply it to each heart that's here. I praise you that the Spirit knows what each one who is here, what, what they need. And so I ask that he would be ministering, applying these truths with, with gentleness in hearts that need this gentle reminder and with force, with might in hearts that have become hardened to this truth, in hearts that just want to rest in what they say, what their intentions are, instead of what their walk is showing. And I pray that as the Spirit applies these things in our life, that none of us would come to the place of just being discouraging and despairing. Where where godly sorrow and repentance is needed, I ask that you would give that. But don't leave us in a place of discouragement and despair. Bring us back to the cross. Help us to see your grace and your forgiveness and, and how you desire to fill us with the knowledge of your will. Given us a whole book full of it. And it's so accessible to each and every one of us. I pray that we would see that, not be discouraged, but, but it would drive us back to the scriptures to understand in a greater way your Christ-centered will. And that we would rejoice that we've been given, as believers, we've been given the Spirit who helps us to apply these things with wisdom and understanding. So I pray that, that we wouldn't be despairing, but we would be encouraged. We would see your grace in revealing through our walk how we operate, who we aim to please. And revealing that we haven't been operating the right way, that we, we've been aiming to please ourselves. And that revelation would drive us back to this prayer. That you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Show your grace, show your love, show your mercy to this church family that's here. May we grow more and more in living a life, walking a walk that pleases Christ. These things we ask in his name. Amen.